Hi, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. So as Matt said, I, I'm approaching this with a little uh, bit of a different way coming into this. It has to do kind of with my testimony and how I came to Christ, but it also has to do with what I see in the world. I travel a lot, and uh, everything I see, I see a lot of challenges, especially for our young people. And I've learned to ap approach people talking about God and the Bible from a different angle. Instead of, if they don't have faith, it's hard for them to even believe in anything. So you have to come from a totally different pr perspective with some of these people. So first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. I'm a children's book author, a creative director, and a theme park designer. That's what brought me to Orlando way back. I was on the Disney College program in the 80s. Oh, wow. And I came to Orlando and loved it, and I stayed ever since. That's me. I'm uh, working in virtual reality there. Uh, I design theme parks in 3D in virtual reality, and then they go and build them. And uh, I also have a children's book series published by Thomas Nelson. And it's called Toby Diggs, The Adventures of Toby Diggs. Toby is basically me at nine years old. It's Scooby-Doo meets Indiana Jones. And Toby's always looking for answers. So what I do is I create these adventure stories where they go into the Bible. But while they're in the Bible, they learn about archaeology, science, biblical truth, spiritual allergy. So it's a lot of fun. So again, the way, what brought me to apologetics was... Working in the entertainment industry, there's a philosophy. It's a very liberal philosophy. Um, you get attacked easily. And I noticed a lot of my peers were getting attacked for their faith because they didn't have the answers that the other side wanted to hear. And the same happened on college campuses. College campuses, a lot of the professors, when kids come in and they have faith, they try and talk you out of it. And that bothered me a lot. So that was le what led me to Toby Diggs because I wanted to get the kids while they're young to learn these biblical truths so they're armored and basically ready to go into the world. And again, school children indoctrination. So when they're really young kids, they're being thrown a lot of things. They're trying to figure out the world. And sometimes, you know, they learn the tooth fairy is not real, the Easter bunny is not real, Santa Claus is not. But you've got to hold on to Christ. <laughs> so you have to hold on to Christ. And, that, and that's, what I, that's what I wanted to do with this teaching is to come from that other angle of, okay, let's not talk about it in a spiritual sense. Let's talk about it in your human reality. And if I can get to the humanist in you, then I might be able to bring you to the spiritual side. And I'm happy to say it's worked for me um, at Disney Universal Studios. I've brought four people to Christ, so it's pretty awesome. Still get goosebumps. <laughs> Thank you. And they really challenged me. I mean, it was any time there was something on the news or somebody came into my office, ha! See, you know, it, you know, I kind of became the poster child for being attacked for that. So again, these are the kind of things that we hear. Oh, the Bible's just a dusty old book. Come on, Jesus wasn't even a real person. There's no proof that God created the universe. And of course, man, it was aliens, dude. <laughs> you know, the History Channel, it's quite humorous because it should be called the Alien Channel because they don't talk about World War II or history anymore. They talk about aliens and Bigfoot and all this other stuff. So it's kind of amusing. So to bring that great debate, I want to talk about why this is important. Now, we here at Grace, I, again, I've known Clark for 25 years, and you know, I know I'm saved by Jesus. I already understand grace. I don't comprehend it completely. I don't live it completely. We're all working on that. Clark reminds me of that all the time. <laughs> but because of that, I walk by my faith. So because of these items, you cannot get to that person to walk by faith if they don't understand faith, if they've never really had a relationship with Christ, if they don't know a loving father, they can't bring those things into their mind. Therefore, it's easy to knock it down and walk away. So I always stick to this scripture. This is what makes me want to do it. This is what makes me want to write the books and everything. And when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's, that's our job. You know, once we get grace, once we know what we're doing, once we're saved and we're confident, what about all those other people? How do we bring them back to us? And that's what Mark 16, 15 said. 
So I want to talk about three topics. I've condensed it here. It's going to be about 25 minutes, and then I'm open to questions and answers. I also wanted to say, um, before you leave, if you write your email address down, you can I can download, um, upload a copy of this presentation, and well, as well as my resources. So you can see where all of that came from. So two things we're going to talk about real quick. I'm just a few experts. Excerpts is the, real, the, bleh, the reliability of the Bible, the existence of Jesus Christ, and the cosmic wonders of a creator. These are the items that I found it was easiest to get to a non-believer and kind of shake their world a little. So first, the Bible. There are a lot of scientific proofs and a lot of facts in the world that aren't talked about a lot in mainstream world of how we have proof that the Bible is as old as it is and it was written by who they say it was written by. One of the best discoveries was the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, some Bedouin boys were playing in Qumran in a cave. They threw a rock uh, to scare the sheep, and they heard a vase break. They went up there. There were hundreds of these large jars, these clay jars. And within the clay jars, and by the way, I have to say, because of the podcast, I have to say what we're looking at. So if I get a little detail on the illustrations, you'll understand. So these rolled-up scrolls actually were unfolded, and they found out it was the Hebrew Bible. Not only was it the Hebrew Bible, it was every book in the Hebrew Bible except for Esther and Nehemiah. So that's pretty amazing. The most amazing thing is when these were discovered in 1947 and 1956, they matched verbatim the King James Version of the Bible. So you'll always hear people say, you know, it's like playing the whisper game. You whisper in somebody's ear, and, you, so, and by the time it gets you know, from you to Matt back there, it's a totally different phrase, and we all laugh. But that's the point of the game. The point of the game is to laugh and change it. So here, as you can see, they took this so seriously that the document is, in reality, factual and complete all the way to today. Copying Hebrew scripture. This fascinates me, because again, this isn't shared a lot. But when scribes write the Bible, they make their copy. And a lot of Jewish boys, after their bar, bar mitzvah, some of the um, practicing Jews in Jerusalem still write their own Torah by hand at the age of 13. And they have rules. Rules like, before copying, you have to wash your entire body, head to toe, before you even start. This is every day you have to do this. While copying, you must only write the name of God with a new pen. So every time I come to the word God, I have to pick up a new pen. Because this pen now mentions the word of God, I can't use it. Yes, exactly. You cannot put the worldly impression on the name of God. Each time the, the, they came across the Hebrew word for God, he had to wipe his pen clean. So anytime they came to the Hebrew word for God in general, pronoun, they had to wipe the pen clean and start over. And this is the most fascinating one. When they came across the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, Lord, anything like that, they had to wash their whole body before they could return. To the point where literally, um, and my resources will show you this, the instructions are, if you say, our Lord, they have to go wash and come back. And the next word is God. They have to go back and wash. And That's how seriously copying scripture is to the ancient times. So it's really fascinating. These are the kind of things when somebody says it's a dusty old book, it's not valid today. Yes, it is. God has watched over it all this time, and the people who protected him took it very seriously. Here's another great story for the Bible, the city of Jericho. City of Jericho, everybody thought it was a fairy tale, children's book tale, just like Noah's Ark and all these other, they say, well, those are just made up stories, they're parables. They're just stories to teach you about God. Well, not only did we find the inscription of Jericho, we found mud brick walls, and the mud brick walls had collapsed. Archaeology had discovered that once again, C.S. Lewis has a great quote, that the Bible is an anvil that will wear out any hammer. And I love that quote. And 
we're finding it every day, you know, and that's why one day every knee will bow. Uh, here's the archaeologist pointing to the collapsed bricks. Again, these were all straight bricks like you would see in Egypt, but they had fallen down and the mud and the erosion had gotten to them. So it just took it completely down. So, yes? Really? Oh, how exciting. Oh, I bet he had a lot of great information. <laughs> um, what's great about um, the collapse is they couldn't date it. You know, everybody uses carbon dating. We still don't know how great carbon dating is. But when they carbon dated, not only did it point directly to Jericho, but it pointed directly to the time of Joshua. So, you know, again, just amazing facts that are not shared in general. This one really blew my mind, the House of David Stele. It's also called the Tel Dan Stele. A stele is kind of like a tombstone. It's, it's when somebody does something really important or creates an altar, they put a stele up that's inscribed, and the inscription reads usually what happened at that point. It was done to mark wars. It was done so kings could proclaim their land. It was done uh, after the battles to say who won and who's the leader and whose city this is and so on. So David, again, mythological character. All, all of this time, they thought he's just another character in the Bible. Doesn't, it's not really valid. There was no house of Jerusalem in that period. There's just no evidence. Well, here we go. They find the stele, and the stele talks about a war, and it's from the king. And here, here it is. The inscription reads that the king of Damascus, stating that he battled the king of Israel and killed Ahaziah and the son of Jeberon in the house of David. So again, and that's all right here. And that ex it puts it exactly in the period of David's reign. So it's, ju it's just another point of we have physical proof that firsthand account eyewitness that the house of David existed. Okay, now two, Jesus is real. This, is, this comes up a lot. People don't know this, but he did appear in history. So if we put the Bible to the side and you want to talk to a person about the facts, the science, the archaeology, we can explore that. Many people, you know, ignorantly claim that Jesus never existed, that he was made up, but history is very clear to have a solid record of his existence on earth. First one, Josephus. I'm sure everybody's heard of Flavius Josephus at one time or another. Flavius Josephus was a Roman historian. He basically went around with the Roman warriors and wrote down the history as it happened. And this was very important to the Romans because they were big into their antiquities because they wanted to be able to claim whose land it was and who reigns over it and how it works. So he was born only four years after the crucifixion of Christ. So he was walking the streets of Jerusalem, getting eyewitness accounts from people, people who saw this happen, people who saw Jesus. And what he writes is just incredible. He writes it to Caesar many times. And I'll just tell you some of his interviews. I won't read the whole thing out here. But this is what he wrote to Caesar regarding Jesus. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good. And he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he appeared to them three days after the crucifixion and that he was alive. He, and Oh, I wanted to say this. It was very important in the translation that Josephus says he is alive. He didn't say he was alive. It almost makes you wonder if Josephus, knowing all of this, was secretly a Christian, but because of the Romans, he couldn't come out and say it because he was very high level. Okay? And again, accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah. In fact, now this is a Roman claiming this, <laughs> so it's pretty amazing. Concerning who the prophets have reported wonders. And the tribe of Christians, so named after, after him, has not disappeared to this day. So this, again, is just, this is probably, I would say, about 
25 to 35 years after the crucifixion when Josephus had written this. So it's factual. It's not in the Bible. It's not a document that you have to take by faith. This is Roman history that is found in all the letters and documents in the Roman Museum. You can go and see them today. Pliny the Younger. This is another fascinating person in history. He was the governor of a Roman pro province, Bithynia, and it was located in Asia Minor, off to the side. And he was in the year 112 AD, was when he was doing his letters and his writings. He wrote directly to the emperor. And he, he kind of like a, re a report, just like Pontius Pilate had to do, to report to who's, you know, what's going on in Jerusalem. So he wrote something very important when he wrote to Emperor Trajan. This is his letter. He was asking guidance because the Christians were growing in number. And as a governor, he didn't know what to do with it because they weren't bad people. And he, he said, they're called criminals, but what should I do with these criminals? So he wrote to the emperor saying, my lord, I refer to all matters concerning which I am in doubt. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? I've never participated in the trials of Christians. I therefore do not know what offenses in the practice to punish or investigate and to what extent. These Christians, and he quoted Christians because he wasn't sure what this, this name meant, are in the habit of meeting, and this is important, now he's telling you what these Christians are doing. And we're, this is only 70 years after the crucifixion. But they were already pretty established because what they were doing was, uh, before it was light, they would meet regularly on a certain day, probably Saturday or Sunday. They sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as a god. That kind of freaked them out, that they're singing to Christ and claiming he's a god. And they bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but to never commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word or deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake in a food, an ordinary and innocent kind. So they, they obviously celebrated the Last Supper already. So again, this is not in the Bible. This is factual science. You know, I'm not, if, if a person says, well, you're trying to indoctrinate me, go, go look this up. It's, it's all over, especially with the internet. You can look it all up. And again, 111 AD, so you know, pretty much pretty close to the time. It's amazing that they were disestablished by 111 AD. So what we do know from all of his writings, Christians were known to meet on a fixed day. When they met, they sang hymns together. The singing was viewed and understood to be worshiping Christ as a god. They bound themselves by the oaths of honesty. They lived in high moral standard. They had a common meal together, very likely in reference to the practice of the Lord's Supper. And it was understood that true Christians would not worship any false gods. There was the problem with Christians, because Caesar was God on earth. And if you're saying you're worshiping this God, then you no longer worship the emperor. And that's a bad thing, and that's where they sent you to be fed to the lions. Okay. How am I doing on time? Am I good? Okay. Okay. Now, I'm going to go to three now, the cosmic wonders. Cosmic wonders are pretty amazing because this stuff, just, it just blows your mind if you really, really have to ponder it. And the, the whole thing about causality is it's a scientific term for the influence of one event, process, state, or object that contributes to the protection of another event. Um, Isaac Newton, you know, for every action there is a common reaction. Everything we see here serves a purpose. The chair serves a purpose. The rug I'm standing on, the walls, the way it echoes in the room. All of this serves a purpose. It, it doesn't just happen. And so as I'm talking, let's say whoop, a pencil just appeared. So if I was to say right now a pencil appeared on this stool, and it just came out of nowhere. It's, it's all organic. It's lead, wood, metal, rubber. Nothing. I, I don't need anything to make that, any other tools. 
but no one would believe me. All of you would think I'm doing a magic trick or it's some kind of illusion. That's causality. Nothing can come, something cannot come from nothing. And yet, here we all are, <laughs> talking, speaking, thinking, looking out into the cosmos, the universe, the planets orbiting each other perfectly, all in this grand scheme, a perfect scene, and it happened for a reason. So something outside of causality had to cause this. The same way that if a car starts outside and rolls down the street, somebody's driving it. You know, if the lights turn on, you're looking for who turned on the light switch. None of us believe any of these things can happen by themselves. And yet we are taught in college that everything came from nothing. And when they, if you ask what exploded, they'll say nothing. And they, they can't wrap their brains around a creator outside of our universe. And that's what's great is the best thing amazing about causality is it doesn't apply to God because he created it. So time and space did not exist until he <laughs> shouted it out. One of the greatest things about the laws of causality, space, time, and even gravity had to be put in place, which means a law requires a lawmaker. And this entire universe and we live by laws. Jupiter, our protector. This is pretty amazing. Um, every time I read up on this, it's, there's, there's more and more facts coming with all the uh, satellites and spacecrafts that we're sending to the outer rim planets. We get more and more information. And astronomers and astrophysicists believe that one reason Earth is habitable is the gravity of Jupiter, Jupiter protects us. Um, the best way I can explain this, if you've ever seen a movie projector in the dark, how it shoots out a cone of light, that cone of light covers the entire screen, even though it's coming out of this small projector nose. Well, that's how Jupiter works for the Earth. Jupiter, way out here in space, is in the perfect position to protect the entire orbit of Earth. So if Jupiter didn't exist, we wouldn't exist. So sometimes when people say, well, where are the aliens? Why is that big planet out there? And everything? It's all there to protect his creation. It's pretty amazing. It's perfect science. Um, Jupiter's gravity slings most of these fast-moving ice balls out of the solar system before they can come close to Earth. Without it nearby, we'd be bombarded constantly. You, everybody's heard, well, the dinosaurs, you know, explode <gasps> the comet that hit us and the dinosaurs were gone. That extinction level could happen often. And for the first time in 1994, we actually saw it happen. We saw the Levy 9, Shoemaker-Levy 9, which was a very large comet about the size of Texas crashed into Jupiter and caused a major nuclear explosion. That if it was to hit Earth, Earth would be annihilated. Before you could blink your eyes, Earth would be gone. So that's the kind of stuff that's happening in deep space. So every time you look at the solar system, you have to think about those nine planets. Not only are we just the right spot, but they are too. And they don't need life because they're protecting us. Big surprise from the edge of the solar system. Does everybody remember in the 70s? Well, most of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> But in the 70s, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 launched. It was a big deal. They were supposed to go out, take pictures of Saturn, Jupiter, and tell us more about the solar system. What's amazing is they're still running today, uh, both of them running on little solar-powered cells. They've left our solar system, and they're way deep out into the cosmos. It takes about seven months for one radio transmission to come back from where they are in space, and that's bouncing through space. What's ma amazing about this is just a few years ago, and... I think it was 2012, yes, it was 2012. They were past Pluto, it was about a year and a half after they passed Pluto and they were really out into the deep solar system. They came upon this strange goo in space. It was a wall of, um, the way, these are scientists describing this, it's as if it was foamy jello. That's the amazing part. And both of the Voyagers, uh, right behind each other, hit this jello. 
and they were going thousands of miles an hour through space because there's no gravity and there's no air, so they just keep flying, and they'd get, with each day they get faster and faster. That's how they were able to get so far. But again, once they hit this jello, they slowed down like 60%. They continued still moving, but they were in this weird gel. They now call the gel the helio sheet. So to give you an idea of what's going on, here's Voyager 1 and here's Voyager 2. This is the termination shock. In other words, this is where our gravity and everything that holds our universe, there's our sun. We're all spinning in here. And now the Voyagers went out here. They hit the heliosphere, which was the end of the magnetic poles from the sun. The sun shoots out this large oval. If the sun was here, it pretty much shoots an oval out that protects the entire solar system with magnetic energy, kind of like a microwave. But we thought we were going to hit the microwave energy before we got into deep space. It, actually, what happened is we hit this jello. And now scientists have found out the jello goes all the way from the sun beyond our planet to the end of Pluto and right before the microwave radiation the cosmic rays that would kill us and not even allow us to live because there's, it's just pure poison. So now we have this strange bubble protecting our solar system. On top of Jupiter, there's literally a bubble of jello. And this thing is about a million miles wide. It's not, it's not something small. And it's this big oval bubble that just surrounds us and protects us. And if any of you are familiar with Dr. Michio Kaku, he's an Asian astrophysicist, long white hair. He's on all the channels, very respected man. But, um, He's agnostic. You, you can't quite figure out where his belief system. But one of my favorite quotes he said is, it's as, if, it's as if something has put this protective wall around our solar system. So he's pretty much describing God. He just doesn't want to say the word God because he's a scientist and he has to stay where he is. And that's one of the most amazing parts of history is we're just finding this out now with technology. And every, you know, Louis Giglio said a great thing. He said, do you know why space is so big? Because God has to be in it. And that can really blow your mind when you think about that, you know. And these, these are the kind of things that I have a lot more of these if you, if you want to, uh, I can email them to you. But they're just these tidbits of information that you can share with a college student, with a child, with a friend who just doesn't, is not ready to take that step into Christ as their savior because they can't wrap their brain around spirituality because they're too busy living in the human world. So that's basically what I wanted to talk about today. And again, I want to remind, we here at Grace Church, we understand it, we comprehend it, and we accept grace. But I still think it's important, because as Clark says, Christ said, it is finished. There's nothing we can do to get more grace. Jesus has done everything we need. We just have to learn to walk in that grace and, and take in the Father's love, which is completely amazing once you, once you really receive that. But I still feel that the one thing we can do is tell everybody else, go into the world, preach the gospel, all creation. That's what I got for you today. So thank you. Thank you.